social media, we welcome you as well. Our theme this year is Seek and Do. That's what Ezra did, and we want to do that too. We want to seek God's word to understand it, but not only understand it, we want to be known for doing it. In our worship service this morning, Chris Langley will be leading our singing. Uh, J.T. Beard has the opening prayer. Andrew Langley will have the scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest will have the lesson. Jonathan Farr will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And Chris Beard will have the closing announcements and, uh, and closing prayer. Each fifth Sunday, the elders designate the contribution for a specific purpose. And today's contribution will be totally utilized for benevolent work. We are pleased to announce that Pam Morris, who uh, recently moved back to Boonville, has asked to be part of the Boonville congregation and be under the o oversight of the Boonville eldership. Would you also add to your prayer list John and Wilda Gardner and Lisa Horn? All of these have recently been diagnosed with COVID-19. Would you bow with me as we begin our worship? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can assemble today to worship Thee. We're thankful for the blessings that You give us. Uh, we pray that our contribution today would 
be thoughtful and we pray that you'd help us to be wise in how we help others that are in need with it. We're so thankful for Pam Morris. We pray that as she becomes part of this congregation that we would reach out and show her the love that we have for her. And Father, we we pray that you would be with those who are suffering from this virus. Uh, we especially pray for John and Wilda Gardner and Lisa Horn today. We love you, Father. We pray that our worship is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song of the morning is number 874, 874.
pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful unto you for this another beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us, for the extremely good weather that we enjoy, for all the beauties of your creation. We're we're eternally thankful. We pray, Father, that you would be with those that have already been mentioned as sick, and in addition to those, we would like for you to be with the with Ben Roberts, George Hale, Pat Green, and we have a lot of people that are incarcerated, people that are taking Bible correspondence courses. We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless this effort and bless those that are participating in it. We're thankful, Father, that you loved us enough to allow your son to come to this earth and to shed his blood on Calvary's cross that we could be sin-free, that we could be righteous again in your eyes. And we pray, Father, that uh, we would uh, never forget the sacrifice that was made and that we would not only uh, show our thankfulness uh, unto you through our prayers to you, but that we would go out and teach others the plan of salvation, what they must do in order to be saved. We realize that the world largely is, is lost, and it's up to us as your children to share the gospel with the world. We are thankful for the church here at Boonville. We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us. We pray that you would continue to be with our eldership. We pray that uh, as they make decisions from time to time, that those decisions would be the kind of decisions that would cause us to grow numerically and especially spiritually. We pray for Ken as he stands before us this morning to proclaim unto us the gospel. We pray that you would give him a happy recollection of the things he's prepared to say and help us to listen as, as we realize that we must give an account of how we've handled your word when this life is over. We pray, Father, for our Bible teachers, all those that are teaching our children and young adults. We pray that you would be with them also. We pray that they would uh, conduct themselves in such a way and present the gospel in such a way that the most possible good could be done in those areas. We know, Father, that we sin and we do things that we uh, should not do. We leave off doing things that we realize that, that we need to be doing. And we pray that you would continue to forgive us of these. And we know, Father, that as we realize our shortcomings and we ask you to forgive us, that you're always willing to do that. We pray that you would go with us now as we continue this worship service. May everything that we do be pleasing in your sight. And help us, Father, to be closer to you every day that we live upon this earth. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Song after the invitation song will be Room in the Kingdom following today's message. Uh, the next song is called We Are an Offering uh, in the theme with our uh, service today. It's a new song probably for some. Uh, it is for me, and uh, but it goes along with our message today. And it's pretty easy. It repeats. But it's, it's a, a nice, slow song that you can, if you don't pick it up the first time, you'll have a chance to pick it up the second time. That's just the way it goes. So.
Christ for the rich in this present day age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor set their, to their high hopes of re- uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good function for the future, so they that they may take hold of what they truly like, love. Thank you for the reading. Thank you for the song service. Thank you for your participation this morning in our worship. It's great to see you. Hope you're having a, a wonderful week. And just like that song said, we are an offering. But here's the caveat in that. We're an offering for sure, but God is pouring into each of us blessings and things that go to his honor, and then we in turn, as an offering to him, become a blessing and a source of good in the lives of other people. That is some of what we'll be talking about today. There is an interesting little piece in that section of scripture that we'll dwell on for just a moment. And then today, I want us to be in tune with the idea of benevolence. Today is special for us, as Jim already indicated, in that our contribution will be going to our benevolence efforts. And I hope you'll consider that as we're contributing this morning, given that opportunity. Before we start that, though, I want to remind you and really encourage you so much to be here this evening at 5 p.m. Our adult classes will meet in the auditorium for a special presentation Roger Comstock, who now is basically overseeing the Guyana work, the work that we're doing among the Amerindians, he's going to be here giving a presentation about that work and probably some ideas about the future. So as a congregation who supports that, we want to be as informed as we can be. And your being here will be an encouragement to him. He's going to several congregations looking for support and just basically filling people in as regards the continuing of that work. And you need to know about that because you're part of it. So please be here tonight at 5 p.m. And we'll meet here and and practically just go directly into the study. Well, let's set our minds to worship. We've been participating in acts of worship and glorifying God. And now... Maybe the hardest part of that, because a lot of times we don't think of sitting through a sermon as an act of worship, but I assure you, my intention is not just to give you stuff to hear. I want to spark your thinking so that as we're going through our study, you are actually taking the words that I say and considering the scriptures that we observe, you're making them your own. And then in the process of that, you're meditating upon them. Maybe you're writing them down and you're glorifying God in that moment. That's our attempt here. So let's pray that God will help me to communicate it in that way and be with you as a hearer that you can receive it. Will you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessing of this day. And in particular, we thank you for this moment that we're in. We've already been lifting you up in these songs and approaching your throne in prayer. We are filled with anticipation as we have read your word together and now we're to consider its application. And Father, I just pray you'll help me as a communicator to be able to share some thoughts that I've derived from your word and to be able to impart it in such a way that all of those who hear it can make use of it. And Lord, I pray for those who hear that they can take the things that I say and, you know, despite how I present it, that they can accept it and be able to experience a difference in their lives as a result of it. And today, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to be uh, the benevolent people that you've called us to be. And as a church, that we can be a place of 
hope for our community. Thank you for the blessing of that and for the privilege that it is to serve you in this capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, just the idea of benevolence is is a simple thing. Now, if I say benevolence, you might think of benevolence programs. Like a couple of things we do here. When I say benevolence, you might be thinking, well, that money must be going like to the food pantry. And we open our doors on the second and third Thursday of every month. And I'm telling you, we give away a lot of food. Well, that is benevolence. Or when you think of benevolence, you might think of the clothes closet. You know, same day, just go down the road a little bit to the next bay and, wow, there's all kinds of clothes there for those who need them. Physical needs being met through the food and and the clothing. That's benevolence. We think of it as a program, like I'm going to give money and then that money will be distributed to those things. And then those folks who work in those areas, and I may not even know who they are. But those people who work in those areas, look, I'm, I'm contributing to that, Ken. I'm a part of it. They're just kind of the hands, the feet, the eyes. They make the contact. And we're all good, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, that is benevolence. It is program. It is an act of work. But the word benevolence at its core just simply means to do good. If you are a person who does good in the direction of other people, when you see their need, you are a benevolent spirit. It also is the idea of the inclination towards being kind or being charitable. That word charitable is also kind of an interesting word. If, if you carry around with you the King James Version, when you go to that famous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a chapter about love, okay? And most modern translations, you'll see that everywhere, the word love. But actually, in the King James translation, the word agape is translated as charity. The idea of caring for another person without the expectation of anything in return. So if I'm a benevolent spirit, if I'm looking to do good in the direction of someone else who's in need, then I'm going to have a heart of charity. I'm going to care about them. I'm going to love them, whether they can do anything for me or not. Now, this text at verse 18 has an interesting description of what this whole idea of benevolence is all about. It's being ready to give and willing to share. Now, to be ready and willing means that I'm on call right now. And the willingness points to the heart that I have for the task at hand. So let's just sum all that up. When the opportunity arises... I'm ready because I've already prepared myself and I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to help another person. It's going from me to another. I want to bless their life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, the scripture also kind of leaning toward that as we're taking the idea of righteousness and putting it into our everyday life. He talks about distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Okay, there's the same idea, ready and willing. I'm already in the process of distributing to needs. That's what I do, the idea. Got my mindset for that. You ask me, I'm ready. Given to hospitality. Hospitality literally is to seek out an opportunity to help somebody. He says, my disposition, my predisposition as a child of God is to help other people. Now that's benevolence. When we're giving money, as we'll be doing shortly... We're looking for opportunity. We're looking for the blessing that comes in giving ourselves. Now, that that can come in the form of your monetary giving. That can come in the form, as we will see this morning, 
all sorts of ways in which I extend myself to care for another person, to do good in their direction. Now, I want to break it down. I want to, I want to describe for you in some practical ways, looking at some scriptures together, exactly what benevolence would entail. I'll tell you in the first place that benevolence is cheerful. <laughs> cheerful. Okay, I think cheerful. I'm happy. I'm glad. I'm filled with joy. This just, this makes me feel good. Now think about that. My disposition, my predisposition is to do good to another person, but I'm doing it because it makes me feel good too. In the process of that giving and that interaction with another person, I'm receiving a blessing. I'm just going to say I am feeling cheer. Let's go to the Old Testament scriptures for a minute. I'm going to start at the book of Exodus at chapter 35 and verse 5. I mentioned that text because it's the beginning of a series of descriptions of what was happening as God has commanded Moses regarding the construction of the tabernacle. And in order to have that movable place of worship, well, they're actually going to have to have some materials to put together. God has already gifted some individuals specially gifted them so that they can take the materials and use their God-given talents and skills to produce every single element that would be necessary for the worship that was going to take place in the tabernacle. But now let's back up. We can't have that stuff fashioned by these skilled artisans until we actually have, well, the resource, the the primary elements to fashion into those implements that will be used for worship. So how are we going to get those? Here's what God did not do. God did not come out and command the people, you must give or else. God did not do that at all with regard to the place of worship. And I think that's kind of interesting simply because worship is something that is voluntary. And it's just, to me, it is so appropriate that God does not demand the people give stuff for the worship. He actually says here in verse uh, 5 that he is looking for those who were willing to give. Those who had a willing heart. I don't know, does that ring any bells with you? It reminds me of our time of worship in giving. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is one who is giving because he wants to give. He has purposed. He has predetermined what he's going to do. Look, I'm in it. That's the idea. I'm in it. Nobody has to twist my arm. When it came to the gathering up of the materials for the construction of those elements that would be used in worship there in the tabernacle, God did not command them to give. He said, whoever has a willing heart, that's the person I want the offering from. Okay, how's that going to work? You may, in a skeptical sort of way, say, that would never work, Ken. We have got to hammer people. We just got to constantly remind them, you have to give, give, give. Well, that's not what happened here. Because in Exodus 36, verses 6 and 7, Those people who were approached for their offering, who were the people who had a willing heart, when it came down to it as the stuff was starting to pile up, they actually had to go and restrain the people from giving. Because not only did they have enough, they had way too much. That just blows me away. Now I know we've got some elders here. Here's Jim. Jim... Have you ever had to stand up in front of this congregation and say, look, uh, y'all are giving way too much. Y'all need to stop. Ever had to do that? Not lately. Not lately. These people, uh, not twist your arm. 
Not say, if you don't give, you know, it's going to be bad. (laughs) God wasn't doing that. God said, you know, I'm looking for willing hearts. And those willing hearts were so abundant that once they opened the faucet, they couldn't hardly get it shut. Look, people, we got to stop. We got way too much. You know what the ground fault outlet is in your house? Older houses probably don't have it, but in newer houses, especially like maybe in the kitchen, but definitely in the bathroom and sometimes even out in the garage, you have this unusual looking outlet. It's unusual not because it doesn't have the the plug-ins, because it it has plug-ins just like your other outlets, but there's this little section on it. It's got, usually has two buttons on it. One of them's red. It says test. And the other one is a reset button. Now, normally, if you were to trip one of your electrical outlets, you'd have to go all the way to the, you know, the box and maybe flip the switch to get your stuff turned back on. But not so here. The element that trips the circuit is right there in that outlet. And here's what you can do if you want to test it. Just go there in the bathroom and press that red button. No, 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 that doesn't happen. You, you press that button, test, and then you'll hear it click. That will close the circuit. Well, if you want to get the circuit to start back, you just hit that reset button. The test button will pop back out, and you're good to go. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You know, you're, you're there using your blow dryer like I... No, I don't, honestly. I use like a towel... I, I can dry it and comb it all at the same time. It's, it's great. But if you use one of those and say somehow it got water in it or something, instead of burning the house down, that outlet will trip and you're, oh, no. You know, just pull it out, fix the situation, hit the button, you're good. So you can test that outlet without actually messing the thing up. Test it occasionally. If God wants to know how your heart is the matter of generosity with you? Your benevolent spirit? How does he know? You know, most of us, we live in, well, I'm just going to say it. We live in a condition of wealth. You say, Ken, I'm, I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. You may be, but wait, stop a minute. You do have a paycheck. <laughs> you, you're, you've got income coming in or... Even if you don't, maybe, maybe you're disabled and, and you receive uh, support that way. You have a, have a roof over your head. You're expecting to eat today or tomorrow. Uh, when you get your water, where does it come from? Do you have to walk six miles to go get it in a bucket? Most of us don't have those hindrances to our life. Most of us, compared to the rest of the world, uh, we're rich. How does God test you and your faithfulness when we have so much? I mean, we rarely, truly suffer. We have what some people call first world problems. That is, oh no, my light switch doesn't work. <laughs> i got to run out there and flip the switch. That, that's not a problem. You know, that's easily resolved. The rest of the world, when they hear about the problems we often deal with, they laugh at us. Because they don't have the same conveniences that we do. So how do I test my faithfulness? I think God has, as it were, one of those GFI type outlets with us. All he's got to do is look at our pocketbook. See where we're spending our money. How it is that we interact with other people. Are we concerned or not? You know, I may have just the, the greatest disposition all by myself or in an interaction with people like me, but how do I extend myself to others? God can test us pretty readily. In fact, it might be a good idea for us to occasionally do some introspection and test ourselves. Here's something that I know. Generous people are not always faithful, but faithful people are always generous. Benevolence is also charitable. Now, 
as I'm defining benevolence, one definition is, you know, to do good. Another definition is the idea of inclining toward kindness or charitableness. You say, well, using the word charity and defining benevolence, they're the same thing, right? Well, I want you to think about the idea of being charitable, the sense of my care and my concern for other people. In, in the book of Acts chapter 11, at verse 26, that passage is famous because in that text, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Okay, in the city of Antioch, the disciples are first now being referred to as Christians. And I think that's all by itself pretty outstanding because, you know, out here in Antioch, far removed from Jerusalem, we have basically what started as a missionary work. And now it is growing and becoming a hub for further missionary work. But here in this place, the people are so in tune and connected with who Jesus is that people just look at them and go, well, you know, that, that's just, that's a Christian. It's like Jesus walking among us. I see those disciples and I immediately think of Jesus. And Jesus had a heart of charity, of love and concern for everyone. Not just the people who were like him, but for everybody, from every facet of society. Jesus loved and cared for them. He still does. Jesus died for all, for whomever. So here is benevolence, and it is closely attuned to charity. And I know that there in Antioch were a group of disciples who were so close to this idea as being followers of Jesus that they're actually called Christians. They wear the name of Christ. Now, at verse 29, something has developed. The disciples, according to their ability, determined to send support resources to the brethren who are in Judea. See, in Judea, Jerusalem, at this time there was a terrible famine going on. In fact, much of the Roman Empire was experiencing a drought during the reign of Claudius. And as a result of that, people were suffering now think about this. Here in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters, <clears throat> the place where the church had begun, where the apostles had found their, their main headquarters for a long time, where the church is growing and abounding and multiplying, now it's gone out into the world, it's been established right there in Antioch, and now the brethren in Antioch are like, wait a minute. Those brothers and sisters who are there in Jerusalem, they're suffering. And we are going to help them. And I love how that text goes. Now keep in mind, followers of Jesus Christ, I want to be like Jesus. I have, as is according to my ability, determined that I'm going to send relief to my brethren. A couple of things I really like about this. It was according to each one's ability. They didn't say everybody has to give, I don't know, let's be fictitious. Everybody has to give $100. They didn't say that. Uh, every, you know, if you really want to make a difference, they're really suffering. Everybody has to give $1,000. I know it's going to be hard for some of you. For some of you, that'd be like pocket change. They didn't say that. It was according to their ability. But they determined, as they set their mind on this. So, stay with me now. Christians who are following in the footsteps of Jesus, trying to be like Jesus in the world, loving people, hear about the need that there is there in Jerusalem, and according to their ability, hey, I might not be able to do as much as you can uh, as in terms of the money amount, but I can have as big a heart about this as anybody. If I have the least financially, I can still have the biggest heart. And so they determined, you can't stop me from doing this, they said, and they offered up relief for their brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Right? There it is again. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly nor of necessity. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. 
Why is it that you can get all the stuff you need for the temple? Because there are people with willing hearts. Why do you have to tell them to stop? Because they don't want to stop. They've already determined their mind, I'm going to help until I just can't help anymore. I'm going to give and give and give. Here are brethren over there in Jerusalem. Wait a minute. Now, who are those people in Jerusalem? In far off Antioch, we're going to send money down there. Don't you know we have mouths to feed right here? I don't know of any place that is a better application of Galatians 6, verse 6, than what's happening right here. Because in that passage, it says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Who had taught them? Well, they had been the result of the missionary efforts of what had been going on in Jerusalem. And those who left Jerusalem went and preached the word. And that word eventually made it to Antioch. And those brethren had obeyed the gospel. And they didn't say, well, you know, we got our own thing going on right here. So that's just too bad for them. No, they said, we are are so grateful to what they've done for us. That has transformed us into the image of Christ. And if we don't do anything else, we are going to help those brethren. We absolutely are. We genuinely care about them. See into the needs of other people when they can't care for themselves. That is at the very heart and the root of what it is to be benevolent. So, my benevolence carries cheerfulness with it. I'm glad to do it. In fact, I purposed in my heart I'm going to do it. And benevolence is charitable. It's an expression of my love for another person. But it is also intentional. Now, I'm going to combine the two ideas we've already thought about into this. Because I've set my heart to do it and I'm glad to do it. And now I am looking for some way to express my love and my generosity to the life of somebody else. I just absolutely want to do this. In the book of Leviticus, of all places, Leviticus chapter 19, we're looking at verses 9 and 10. This is just a series of description of things you do. For the Israelites. Here are things you do. Notice, notice what happens. So you've got some people own property. Uh, they go out there and, and they raise a crop. Or they have a vineyard. And the, the practice is, you know, you grew this. You spend a lot of time and money and effort with it. You're going to go out there and reap the harvest. Boy, I've got a big harvest coming in. Uh, there were some stipulations about that. You know, God's given you this land to start with. So you are a steward of that. And look, if you have a great crop... Perfect. That, that is wonderful. But when you go out there to reap it, don't reap it wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. Do not reap it completely. Do not reap it wholly. What do you mean, don't reap it wholly? Well, he gives a couple illustrations. He says, when you go in and get that crop, leave the corners Don't go all the way to the edge as far as you can go and get every grain. Just kind of round those corners off. And then secondly, he says, don't glean the harvest or the vineyard. Now, what does it mean to glean? To glean means to get every last drop of it. I've got this property. God's put this in my possession. He expects me to be a good steward. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get every single grain. When something hits the ground, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to get as much out of this property as I can. I am not leaving not one grape on the vine. That would be gleaning. He says, don't do that. Do not glean your harvest. Don't glean the vineyard. Why not? Well, because there are some people that are very different from you. They're poor. They probably don't even have any property. Or they're strangers. They're just traveling through the land. They need some hospitality. Here, without you really even thinking about it, you're going to care for them. You're going to show benevolence out of a good heart. 
You're not going to try to squeeze every drop out of this piece of property. You're going to leave a little bit around the edges, a little bit still on the vine, for those who are less fortunate than you. I always thought it was interesting that he did not say, well, now do that, but make sure you got a clipboard there by the edges. And if you have a poor person or a stranger come more than once, you tell them no. Or if they look funny, like, I don't know, a little suspicious, you can't glean, you can't have... He didn't say that. Said, you go and get what is yours, leave the edges, because after all, it's mine anyway. I'm saving that for the poor and the stranger. What would you do about that in a modern application? You say, Ken. I don't own a farm, so I'm not going to be living, leaving any edges, and I don't have a vineyard, so I don't have any gra- This does not apply to me. Yeah, it does. Because here's the principle. The principle is God has given me X. He's given me something into my hands. Now, what am I doing with that? I probably should not be gleaning it. That is, squeezing out every dime for me. What I ought to do with what God brings in my possession is to leave the corners, not glean the harvest and the vineyard. In other words... I've heard of people, for instance, in fact, we've done this in the past. We've put ourselves on a zero-based budget. That's a a Ramsey thing. And so the idea is I'm going to account for every dime. Peace, account for every dime. But in your accounting, be sure that included in that budget are some of the edges, some of the opportunity for others. Be certain that what you have in your possession is what God really intends for you to have. And in abundance beyond that, how about let's see to those who are the less fortunate among us. You say, well, who would that be? Well, I I mentioned some, some programs that we have in place, but what I'm finding in these passages is not just that I'm going to contribute to a program. But it is a heart of giving, so that whenever the opportunity arises, I am ready to give and I am willing to share. I'm pretty sure that a heart of benevolence is something that will convert our worldly goods, our materials, into heavenly reward. The very last part of our text this morning, verse 19, says that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know that in this very same chapter, that's the second time that phrase of laying hold, eternal life, is actually used. It was used back at verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, When he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. That's the one we usually hear, right? Because we are all about the preaching of the gospel and holding to the truth. And we want to do that. There's no doubt about it. But is that the whole story? That is not the whole story. Yeah, I should fight the good fight and lay hold on eternal life. But look at our text. I'm going to be benevolent. I'm going to be ready to give and willing to share. I'm going to see to the care of other people so also that I might lay hold on eternal life. Here's the way Jesus put it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you a child of God today? If you are, then this is a matter of examination. Am I laying hold on eternal life? It may be that you have the truth knocked out of the park. You cross the T's and dot the I's. But are you benevolent? Do you care for other people? If not, let's all walk out of here with the intention of looking just like Jesus. Amen? And if you're not a child of God today, then I want you to know you're not alone in the world. You're not. And you may feel alone sometimes, and that's because you've chosen that. But Jesus has promised you something else. He has promised you that if you'll submit yourself to him, he'll be with you forever. That comes as a result of developing belief that he's the son of God and that God raised him from the dead. It comes as a result of a commitment to change your life, to repent, to turn away from sin. It comes as a result of confession, confessing that faith that you have in the presence of others. And it comes finally as a result of obedience to the gospel through baptism, being buried in water wherein you are washed by the blood of Jesus, you come up out of that water a new creature, and you'll never be alone again. And then you, wearing his name, can be Jesus walking among those who are lost, trying to replicate for them what's happened with you. Maybe you need to respond today. If you do, now's your opportunity to come. Why don't you, if you need to, while we stand together and sing?
Does everyone have the emblems they need for the Lord's Supper? All right. In a storm back in September, the armrest of a swing that I own was broken. And I had to replace this small armrest. And as typical when I do carpentry work of any type, I bled for an armrest. And I find it unique that I can't make a single piece of wood without bleeding. Our Savior was the son of a carpenter. He had a lot more experience in that regard than I did. And though he asked God for mercy on sinners many times, I only recall one time he asked God to change his plan. And that was in the garden. Because he knew what wood and nails could do to a human body. And so we're here today and we are asked to remember his body and the blood that he shed. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful so much for the plan that allows us to have your salvation and your freedom. We pray that you bless this bread to our bodies, and we pray, Lord, that we will be counted worthy in your service. For without your son's body and your son's blood, we would not have hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And likewise, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for this fruit of the vine. We're thankful for the blood that was shed, that was given freely for us, Heavenly Father, that washes us free. We pray, Lord, that you will forgive us of our sins, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I thought Ken's sermon on benevolence was appropriate, and I think it's something that, especially in times we live in right now, giving and taking care of people in need is something we have forgotten about. Quite frankly, we just don't see people the way we used to, so we have to seek out those things. So you have multiple opportunities to give. You can, there are plates here around the building. You can give online as well, and there's also instructions on the screen behind me. Uh, but let's bless that offering, if you don't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for our many blessings, Heavenly Father. We pray, Lord, that we will always remember to leave the corners, and we pray that the offerings that we give to this church and throughout our lives that may never be seen, Lord, that they will benefit your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to join with Brother Jim in welcoming everyone this morning, especially all those who are attending with us uh, online or virtually. Uh, we welcome all of you and hope that you'll be able to uh, worship with us again this evening at 5 p.m. I have a few announcements this morning. I have a note from Don and Brenda Dawson. They would like to thank everyone for all the acts of kindness, especially your prayers during the past few months. Brenda is continuing to have health problems. They ask we continue to remember them in our prayers. Also have a note from Stephen Hodgen. It said next Sunday at 3, 3 p.m., any youth willing to help with scrapbook, we ask that you meet in the annex. Also, you do not have to belong to Lads to Leaders to help and we're looking for adult helpers, if you can help with that at all. 
This morning we had 96 in the early service, 145 for this service. Uh, would also like to, or are pleased to announce that Russell and Crystal White want to officially place membership with us. A reminder on Roger Comstock visiting with us tonight to discuss uh, the Guyana missions. Uh, as a note to that, classes sixth grade and down, they will meet, and the teenage class will meet. All other classes uh, meet in the auditorium. Uh, we would like to remember in prayer uh, Ben Roberts. He's got a doctor's appointment this coming Thursday. And also remember John and Wilda Gardner and Lisa Horn and also our extensive sick list. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, I'm going to dismiss us in prayer once the prayer is over. Uh, if you would, please remember the way we normally exit the auditorium. Uh, if you would, please stand. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we've been given and blessed with this morning to attend this worship service, to gather with the other saints to worship you. Father, we pray. They may return to their most wanted places in life. Also, Father, we ask you to be with those who have lost loved ones, especially, Father, the Coker family and the Green family. Father, we ask you that you be with the leaders, both of this country and, Father, worldwide, that they may make decisions based on thy will, uh, that this whole world may know that you are the one true God. Father, we ask you that you go with us, guide us, and keep us always near thee. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> 